They are awesome, but we are not them. How many times do we hear this excuse? How many times do we make this excuse? We admire exceptional work, we hold others in high esteem when they've done it, and then we separate. We make excuses for why we can't do that stuff. We say, yeah, that would be great and all, but but my boss, but my numbers, but my industry. And, and fine, pretend for just a moment that embedded inside all the griping and excuse making, there's reality. Assume that you're right. We aren't them and we can't do what they did. So then, who are we and what can we do? Today, we explore this, this mental barrier that prevents us from being better than all the commodity work out there. And we meet a man who's inventing the future of an entire industry. An industry, by the way, that I know you love, even though you've never actually told me. So, how is this guy doing his work? By sprinting at each and every mental barrier and smashing through them one by one. And his sledgehammer is a simple graph that he draws on the board. It's brilliant, it's, it's powerful, it's entirely unlikely. Keep, 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 keep me going! It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. I'm Jay Akunzo. Consider for a moment the branded podcast. Most podcasts created by marketing teams are, um, how should I put this? Impressively terrible. The audio assaults the ears, the episode introductions just meander, and and they're stuffed full of housekeeping and boring information, and the guests are all the same parade of the industry luminaries, one after another, that you saw on every other show in that space. These podcasts have no real concept and no real reason for existing. They're glorified audio blogs at best, and undifferentiated, non-strategic, ego-driven projects at worst. But it's not that marketers don't care, it's just that we tend to care about the wrong things. Because what do we agonize over in our work altogether too much? The tools, the tactics, the thought leadership, the measurement and distribution, the best way to insert our calls to action, the landing pages, the SEO, the optimization. We care about the the wrapper around the core instead of the core itself. Because what is a podcast at its core? A podcast is a performance on a microphone. Whether you interview or tell stories, preach or teach, you have to be good on a mic. You have to be enjoyable to listen to because that's what podcasting is. But that's not where marketers tend to focus. You know what it's like? Imagine imagine playing basketball. Now, I don't know if you've ever played in or even just watched a pickup game, but something happens on courts all across the world that has the same level of absurdity but ubiquity as the problems with branded podcasts. Here's what happens. Inevitably, there's always this one guy who struts up to the court before the game begins, and it's obvious that he's trying to look like a player. Too big, too fast, and too strong! He's got a headband and an arm sleeve. From downtown! He's got the latest in fit tech on his wrist. Boom shakalaka! And the newest LeBron James shoes on his feet. Is it the shoes? He's got all this stuff on him that you'd associate with a great basketball player. Knock, knock. Who's there? Boom shakalaka! But then the game starts. Here's the tip! And the guy can't play. But, but playing basketball is what basketball is. Too often, a marketer is that guy. We focus on everything under the sun that helps us look like a podcaster. But then the microphone goes live and we aren't any good on a mic. But but being on a microphone is what podcasting is. Kaboom! 
Creating a great concept that sounds different than your peers, having a structure to your story or your interview, and above all else, holding people's attention for minutes on end, all of that stuff is at the core of what podcasting is. But in the business world, for some inexplicable reason, we all tend to focus on the wrong things. As a podcaster who came out of content marketing myself, I I just get so frustrated by that because I see the opportunity. We could be doing so much better, but there's just so many things that we'd have to change first that it all just seems too hopeless. When you get dunked on like that, you really ought to consider retirement. Or at least that's what I thought, because then I met Steve Pratt. There's a lot of companies that make branded podcasts or branded content. Um, We call our our shows original podcasts with brands. Steve is a co-founder and partner at Pacific Content, a production agency that makes some truly amazing branded podcasts. Oh, nope, sorry. Wait a minute. I mean original podcasts with brands. You see, that small difference makes all the difference in the world. It's a very subtle distinction, but it's very important because we are making shows that are for audiences first. These are not infomercials. They are not selling products or services from the clients that are making it. They are shows that are designed to be things that people want to listen to because they are great shows that compete with anything else that's out there. Steve's company has created shows for brands like Mozilla, McAfee, Prudential, Shopify, Dell Technologies, and many more. And if these shows were basketball players, they could freaking play. He's heating up! Steve believes something pretty darn unthinkable. He believes that the organizations that will create the best podcasts are not media publishers. He thinks, and I agree, that any ad-supported business model is just too faulty. It rewards too much bad acting, too much focus on more content instead of better content, on chasing volume and flavors of the week in your topics, and instead of quality and great storytelling. So instead, it's Steve's driving belief that the best shows on earth will come not from traditional publishers, but from companies who sell products and services, companies we usually just call brands. Why, why brands and not traditional media companies? You know, why are you bullish on brands being the parties that create the best podcasts or audio journalism? Well, I guess so, so we saw a, a bunch of different trends when we started the company. One was just that consumers were more empowered than ever before. You can skip pretty much any form of ad you want on any platform. You know, the interruption-based model seems pretty broken to us. I mean, you know, when we, when we were working in traditional media, we saw a lot of companies missing revenue forecasts as people move to digital. People can choose what they want to watch or listen to, when they want to do it, and what they don't want to watch or listen to. That was factor number one. Factor number two is what Steve calls the second wave of podcasting. It's the current era of showmaking that we're in right now, as you listen to this very episode, inspired in large part by the success of Serial. Serial, of course, is the now infamous true crime show from the makers of This American Life, and it changed people's perspective and their expectations of what a great podcast could sound like. And for Steve... That created a huge opportunity. There's not a lot of people or companies that are out there to be able to make really, really high quality, fantastic storytelling podcasts. And that there's an opportunity for first movers to go in there and build audiences quickly and more effectively than on blogs or Facebook or YouTube. Because podcasting is just so ripe for the taking by brands. Not to mention, it's a really personal medium. I like to call it intimacy that scales. Intimacy that scales. I mean... Don't you feel like you know me, especially if you've listened to multiple episodes? Like, like at least a little, you know who I am. You know, you and I have this sort of uh, relationship, don't we? 
The point is that Steve recognized that audio could lead to this kind of intimacy. And to achieve that, the possibilities for what shows could be are endless. And then the other piece was looking at companies like Red Bull or GoPro that have had a huge amount of success thinking like media companies, mostly in the video side of things, uh, by making original shows that audiences in like their target audiences love consuming and that they're voluntarily subscribing to their channels and look forward to whatever they publish, that there is nobody doing that in the audio space. And that is where Steve's thinking starts to sound a lot less conventional. See, Steve began where we all typically start. He was inspired and he noticed the difference between great work that he admired and where he was at personally. That's where we began this episode if you think back to the very beginning. It's that simple statement all over again. They are great, but we are not them. But then, unlike the average individual, Steve went one step further. They are great, but we aren't them. So, what are we? And how does that make us exceptional? It's so tempting to look at amazing things created by others and and just frame it in the negative. That is what great means, and we're not them, so we can't do that. We can't be great. But Steve realized, no, hold on, wait a sec. I'm not them, and that's a good thing. I'm not Red Bull, I'm from radio. And so I might be able to do something like what they did, but in my own unique way. It's original shows from brands meets audio. The big inspiring work of Red Bull meets Steve. It's a small difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. It felt like a, a uh, an amazing solution um, for brands and for audiences and as a media company, like, you know, or as a production company ourselves, to be able to have a business model that allowed us to make really great quality shows without a huge amount of risk that would allow brands to fundamentally connect at a deeper, m- you know, more powerful level with audiences than an ad-based model and where you could find success in an industry that hadn't fully evolved yet. And that that all sounds pretty great. But just remember the industry that Steve was walking into with branded podcasts. You really ought to consider retirement. It feels like you're downloading an infomercial or that there's an ulterior motive that you're kind of like, oh, now I get why they're making the podcast because this is in their self-interest for doing it. And I'm kind of subtly being sold something, but it's pretty clear what it is I'm being sold. There's a very big difference between that and creating an original show for audiences first that reflects all the things that your brand is interested in and is 100% authentic, talking in your voice, reflecting your values, um, but is not actually about you, that it is audience first, almost like a gift for them, but where people are signing up because they have a connection with you. And through some personal connections, they were able to land their very first pitch meeting with a brand. The first meeting we had, we got in to pitch the CMO of Slack. And as it so often happens, before Steve and his business partners had any clue what they were doing, just by putting themselves out there, opportunity knocked. We had a few meetings with them and they're like, you know what, let's give it a try and make a pilot. And we were kind of our jaws dropped that we were actually able to do this and with a really cool company. Um, And now we have to figure out how to do this because we actually don't know how to do this. How do you put together all the moving pieces so the audience loves the show and the brand does too? How does Pacific content as a third party capture that brand's voice? 
What kind of show are they making in the first place? What's it all about? Do we build a studio or rent What one? equipment should we use? What about hosting tools? And distribution? And, and SEO? And social media? The headband, the sneakers, the gear, all your decisions get easier and the work seems far less overwhelming if you can just focus on how to play. And after years in radio and non-branded podcasts, well, Steve and his team could straight up ball. He's on fire! Steve began his process with Slack by focusing on what podcasting is being great on a microphone. We actually kind of had to go back to them several times to say, okay, you know what? We realized we need to know this about you. We need to know this about your strategy. <laughs> we need to know what, you know, what your values are as a brand, because that's going to play a part in what kind of music we choose and how we do the hosting. And, you know, we had to ask them to create a kind of an audio voice guide. They had some really great written voice guidelines, but then we all realized that the written voice would be somewhat different than an audio voice just by the nature of the two mediums. So it, it was really kind of a back and forth figuring it out together. It's a small difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. So, of course, simply by doing things the right way, they launched an amazing product, right? Now, of, of course not. That's not how great work happens. They had a really great, playful, fun voice as a brand on Twitter. And when we originally launched the show, we had a couple of kind of, you know, comedy pieces in there that were more almost like sketches, I guess. And when we went out live into market, they had a change of heart and said, you know what, this does not feel as authentic and bang on for us. We don't really want to do stuff that is fictional mixed in with the non-fictional stuff that is really impactful. And we can still be fun and have a great voice with the non-fiction content, but having the comedy pieces in there doesn't feel like it actually works anymore. So the show evolved pretty quickly over the, you know, once it actually got into into market. But it was um, it was full on figuring it out as we go. Great work happens step by step with nothing making sense or feeling like massive progress as you continually march forward. But if we can focus on what the thing we're doing actually is, instead of all the hype and the hucksters that clutter our view of our work, well, we can more easily keep marching in the right direction. For Steve and his work with Slack, the most important thing was knowing Slack's core values as a brand. People doing their perfect work, like doing the work that really matters to them and finding their perfect sweet spot career-wise and bringing their full self to their work. That's what a great show is for, manifesting your core values into the world, associating a brand with that theme or concept, not sneak selling people, not all the crappy tactics or the low quality junk that mostly populates this space. No way. To make sure they didn't produce yet another commodity show, Steve and Slack aligned over their core values first, and as a result, they created one hell of a show that listeners love. It's called Work in Progress. This is Work in Progress, a show about the meaning and identity we find in work. From Slack. Slack is where work happens. It's used by big teams like Autodesk and smaller teams like Darling Recordings, an indie record label out of Bloomington, Indiana. More about them at the end of the show. Check us out at slack.com slash podcast or tweet us at Slack Stories. Picture this. You're walking down Main Street, and suddenly you notice a white van following you. 
I just had a very weird moment where, you know, you have this feeling like people are watching you and you're being totally checked out. Are you being paranoid? And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I was. No, the van is still on your tail. I think one of the headlines was, Slack is making a podcast for some reason, um, which, was, which is great. It just shows you how weird and, and new it was. That, like, we have no idea why this is happening, but they're doing it. And a whole bunch of li- people listened to it and talked about it and shared it. But the van catches up and the guy gets out and you can't escape. The show has been featured in Wired, Fast Company, Inc., Adweek, and more. And as of Q1 2017, it was getting more than 40,000 downloads an episode. Additionally, this program became one of the first brand-created shows to syndicate to Sirius XM Radio. It's now on their Insights channel, which has over 30 million subscribers. So what the eyes can see about this show matches what the ears can hear. Not your average branded podcast. After all, it's actually an original podcast with a brand. Small difference, but it's made all the difference in the world. According to some accounts, Slack is the fastest growing B2B company ever. Suffice it to say, they're usually ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And one of the things they've been out front on for a while now is what I'd call attention retention. Here's what I mean. Where's the beef? Historically, marketers had one main job, acquire people's attention. You'd place your message in the right spot, you'd use the right promotional language and target the right people, and you'd jump out in front of them and say, hey, hey you. for this one moment in time, pay attention to me. New Goodyear Double Eagle. The Flintstones, brought to you by Winston. America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. Uh, Winston tastes good, like a cigarette should. Oh my God, that is a kid's show. Just, just point to that ad if anybody debates you on whether or not the marketing world has gotten better. And that would be the goal. Acquire someone's attention. Look at me, isn't it? Look at me! But I think we're living through this massive shift from marketers simply acquiring people's attention to marketers needing to hold it. The consumer has all the power after all, and we as consumers are only going to choose to spend time with things that we like, things that educate or entertain us. So if you want to get in front of the consumer, you can try to keep interrupting and we can keep going around you more easily than ever, or you can be the object of what we choose, things that we actually want to spend time with, things that hold our attention. Now, the things that we usually talk about in marketing are things like content marketing, social media marketing, or influencer marketing. But those are the symptoms. The underpinning reality, the foundation on which all of those became important, is that these brands have to react to that change. A marketer's job is no longer to acquire someone's attention. A marketer must get good at holding it. And that's why this podcasting stuff matters. Where is this industry at? Like, if you compare it to a lot of other industries that people work in, I feel like Some people are very bullish on it. It's growing. It's great. It's, you know, it's some people are are bullish on it 
but because it's not growing because it's still cottage and people can do it well. And there's all these reasons that people are for it. Um, but a lot of people who are from like big multi-billion or trillion dollar industries look at podcasting as like peanuts. Like why would you, why start a business? Like what's the opportunity within podcasting as an industry? Well, it's, it's pretty interesting because podcasting feels like it's new, but it's, you know, it's not like it started in 2004, 2005. And I, I think, you know, part of the uh, interesting piece of podcasting is that the first 10 years were really about democratizing the the tools and democratizing distribution where anybody could make a podcast for next to nothing and they could get it out to the whole world for next to nothing. And tons and tons of people did. And it kind of set this paradigm that, you know, podcasts were generally long conversations or unedited interviews that lasted, you know, an hour, two hours, that sort of thing. And there's some really great shows in that format. But in the last few years, you know, particularly with the advent of Serial, they've kind of hit a, like a second wave, I think, that, you know, is how we talk about it, of just really high quality shows that are as good or better than anything that you would hear on NPR or any other public radio show out there. But that phase is still relatively new. And I think it's there's still a lot of podcast creators and companies and brands that feel like it's a really fertile ground for innovating and that it's a medium that has not fully been explored for the types of stories and the types of show formats that are out there to be able to create value for audiences. So it's a really exciting time. Today's great marketers care about subscribers, not clicks. They look for minutes of your listenership and your attention, not seconds. It's all about attention, retention, time that people invest over time, which creates trust, loyalty, action, even intimacy. And that is the power of podcasts for brands, so long as they can recognize that monumental shift. It has to be presented alongside all the best shows that are not funded by brands. It has to be that good. Our goal as a company is to change the way people think about it and to change the way that companies think about it to just making amazing original shows that get the same word of mouth and the same number of listeners and you know, the, the same great storytelling and production value that any other show would happen would, would have, but that is obviously valuable to the brands as well. Don't just acquire attention, hold it. It sounds like such a small difference, but man, oh man, is that still hard for some people to get. Look at me! Why would a brand get on board with that idea? You know, what are some of the things that you might tell somebody that would help them move away from this idea of, it's all about me, I have to shoehorn my message in there, and towards it's all about the audience and I need to create a great story. Well, I guess, you know, it, it always helps to put yourself in the audience's shoes um, and, and to think about what you would actually choose voluntarily to listen to or not. At, at the end of the day, your goal is to connect with people and, and be able to have a relationship with them and have them understand who you are, uh, where when they do decide to make a buying decision, that you're going to be their choice because they know who you are and, and connect with you. As he trots around the United States and Canada trying to convince brands to think this way, Steve has come up with a little trick, a little framework that he uses to help marketers shift their thinking. You have to picture this in your head uh, is an XY graph. And on the X axis, we have creative bravery. And on the Y axis, we have commitment. One more time. On the horizontal axis, the X axis, that's creative bravery. On the Y axis, the vertical, that's commitment. Creative bravery and commitment, like sign me up. I love where this is going. And 
The creative bravery is on the program development side, like what kind of show you actually want to make. The higher the creative bravery, the more successful the show is going to be. We ask a bunch of questions with clients to figure out how to get to the highest level of creative bravery possible. And they are questions like what I was saying earlier. It is like, would you listen to this show if you didn't work here? Does it feel like an infomercial? Does it feel corporate and safe? You know, are there product mentions? Are your employees featured in the podcast? I think as any average audience member, you would say, I would not listen to it if it slid down the creative bravery and felt boring corporate and, and a hard sell of a product. The commitment side is around activating all these unfair advantages that brands have. The business model isn't suffering like with so many publishers who use advertising. Brands don't rely on ads and therefore don't need to chase empty impressions. They're thriving as a business instead of merely surviving. And they just have so many advantages in creating great shows. I mean, brands have websites, social media channels with followers, products with various spots to place messages about the show, expertise in running paid and earned and owned campaigns, agencies and freelancers at their beck and call, email lists with subscribers, customers they can reach or even mine for great stories, employees who can evangelize their work. All sorts of different pieces. They can reach a lot of people very quickly. And I think a lot of brands don't fully understand all the advantages that they have. So when you're really high on the commitment and you're really high on the creative bravery, you've got a hit podcast on your hands and you can build up an audience like this valuable asset of an audience very, very quickly. So what makes one brand's podcast successful and another not so much? The ones who are successful are the people who have the long-term vision around wanting to build a brand and build relationships and build trust over time by being awesome and creating value over time. It's challenging for some companies to make the mental shift of making a show rather than a piece of marketing because the show actually requires marketing. So that all the, all the commitment pieces, the, the paid, earned, owned internal uh, communication strategies are designed to reach audiences. And, you know, the same way that HBO would take Game of Thrones and put a campaign behind it to let everybody know that Game of Thrones is coming out they're not just sending a press release to Variety or The Hollywood Reporter and then they're done. They actually have a campaign to make sure that all the people they want to watch the show know about it. I think that's a big mentality shift for a lot of brands to think about how to market to listeners. On the surface level, Pacific Content makes original podcasts with brands. So yeah, they talk with brands about the concept and the format of the show. They figure out the host. We talk a lot about tone, energy, the types of music choices, how we're going to measure success. But in making a show with a brand, they also bring together a lot of people from different departments. People that don't, but really should be collaborating in service to the audience. People like... The PR department, the paid promotion department, the social media team, the website content team... Um, employee communications. And that's all before they've made a single second of audio. So there's kind of an interesting value for companies in cultural change and behavioral change as an organization to come together and act a little bit differently than they might have before, depending on, on the company. And then we will go away after that and, and begin production on a pilot. Check, check. <clears throat> I'm just going to go through it quick one time. All right. We have never made a pilot that has not gone public. The pilot generally takes eight to 10 weeks to produce. Because you have to do things like actually go and find a host and work on music samples, find story ideas, make sure everybody's excited about them, do first edits of stories, scripts, all those sorts of pieces. So it's a, it's a very iterative process where there's a lot of feedback on smaller elements to be able to make the pilot, uh, where at the end of the pilot stage, nobody's 
surprised. Everybody knows exactly what's coming. And hopefully we have really nailed the brand voice and made something that people are going to be very compelled to listen to. Was it surprising to you that consumers are that welcoming of brand produced entertainment or brand produced stories? Well, I think we saw some of it with uh, Red Bull and GoPro and, you know, Pepsi's done some really interesting stuff where they have a Jeff Gordon driving around in cars and disguises, things like that. So there's a lot of good examples that people were willing to do it in the video space. I think, you know, that, you know, when, when I was speaking earlier around why we evolved our language, which was originally branded podcasts into original podcasts with brands, that was a really conscious decision, like to help shape the programming strategy for brands, but also for all of us to make sure that we are focused on the audience and that we're making something that is that is going to be competitive with anything else out there to be able to make shows that where you're, I don't know, able to advocate more strongly on behalf of the audience because we know that that there is a business model here and there's lots of clients in there that that are going to want to make great shows. And if we want to be an ongoing growing business, you've got you've to make things that people are going to be attached to. Hell yes, right? But also, obviously, if you want people to know, like, and trust you and your company, if you think intimacy at scale is a wonderful benefit of having a podcast, then obviously you have to make something others truly love. But too often, the core of what something is gets overlooked. Are you writing a blog? Well, it's not actually about writing for search engine optimization, but for people. Want to do that well? First, learn how to write well. Then the rest gets easier. Creating some kind of marketing plan? Well, it's not actually about the channels or the tactics, but the strategy itself. Want a great strategy? Then actually talk to customers, understand their problems and their language and their reality, and work hard to then solve those problems through what you create. Are you building a podcast? Well, it's not about the equipment or the names of the guests you have, but you, the host, the sound. Want a great podcast? Get good on a mic. Because, you guessed it, that's what a podcast is is. Audio has so many magical things about it. It's an amazingly intimate medium. You are in somebody's ears, and a lot of the time they are listening alone. And when you have a great host who connects with you, it feels more intimate than any other medium that this person is talking to you. It's a fantastic storytelling medium. It's all theater of the mind. And when you're creating descriptions and scenes and telling stories, there's a level of audience engagement because they're having to picture it and and create all that in their mind that is a really deep level of engagement that you don't see in other mediums. Totally different than video or text. So many subtle differences between mediums, but of course, they make all the difference in the world. If we spent more time investigating those differences, well, we might be able to do more exceptional work. That's what trusting our intuition is. The core of intuition is this idea from Latin, which simply means knowledge from within. So if we ask the right questions of all these little details in our context, of all those things that make us different than others, well, we might do better work than the best practice. Do that, and you might do something exceptional, just like Steve Pratt. I have to say, it's been it's been like a really thrilling ride so far. <laughs> it, the fact that it keeps changing and that there's opportunities to keep growing it and making it more successful, it, we're all having quite a great time doing it. You know, from where we when we started a few years ago uh, with Slack as our first client, it was really no man's land. Like we were just inventing something that hadn't been there before. And we didn't know whether it would work. We didn't know whether anybody else would want to do it after Slack. <laughs> um, 
And a lot of the first year of it was kind of proving the model and feeling like it was a solid enough way to go forward for brands that this really was going to be a great solution. And then having to reach out and educate people that this exists and, you know, what the value proposition is in doing it. And a little over a year ago, something just flipped. People just started showing up at our doorstep and really interesting, exciting brands that were like, we would like to do our own podcast. So their ability for very large companies to be able to be nimble and take, you know, big risks and do innovative things for things that, you know, aren't fully status quo yet uh, has been a really wonderful surprise. They are great, but we are not them. How many times do we hear this excuse? How many times do we make this excuse? We so easily point to how our situation is different than those we admire. The problem, however, is not that we do that. No, the problem is the way we do that. We only notice differences that are obvious, and then we use them as excuses. And instead, what we want is we want something to be obviously the same, someone whose situation is just like ours. Now, here's the problem. No one's situation is just like ours. No two contexts are identical. And the subtle differences between you and a person just like you, or you and a business just like yours, those small differences, well... They're the difference between doing something average and something exceptional, something that copies and something truly your own. They are great, but we are not them. What if we turned each but into an and? They succeeded that way, and we aren't them. We are from radio, and nobody knows what we know in the brand space, so that's the opportunity. They have the right customers with the right disposition, and... We don't. We work with brands. And brands have their own long list of advantages. So what if we use that instead? They are great. And we're not them. So who are we? And what can we do instead? That is a massive opportunity. Like, like how many chances in your life do you have to be able to invent the future of something? Our context is different in ways that others can't possibly imagine, but we overlook those details. We, we brush them aside in our efforts to disassociate ourselves from others. But if we can trust our own intuition, in other words, if we can ask the right questions within our context, well, we might find better practices than any best practice we're handed. We might find the specific answer instead of some generality that we can so easily write off. So yeah, focus on the differences between you and them. Not in a negative way, but a positive one. They might be small differences, but trust me, they make all the difference in the world. We have just two more episodes left in this season of Unthinkable. I know, it's sort of uh, sort of bittersweet. I hope you've enjoyed this season, and if you need more of Unthinkable, you can go back to the backlog. But never fear, two more episodes coming to finish this season strong. But I'm also excited to share that I've been working behind the scenes on two new podcasts. That's right, I'm partnering up with a couple of other companies and producing two new shows. They're going to be very different, a lot more conversational and casual than Unthinkable, but you'll have a couple more shows to keep in touch and listen in and explore new topics along with me. And one final thing, in addition to those two new shows and the next season of Unthinkable that I'll get started on, I am going to be launching a kind of an experiment in the podcast space, and I need your help. 
The goal with all the stuff I do in the podcast space, with everything that I work on for you, is to make content about our work that's nutritious and delicious. I I just think that podcasts in the business space, they they just need to catch up with other types of media. So if you love good storytelling, you love entertaining conversations, you like great concepts in your podcast, well, I'm experimenting with something coming in the new year that is going to heavily involve your feedback. All of this stuff is going to flow right through the newsletter. So you can go to my website, sorryformarketing.com, or you can go to unthinkable.fm. Either one will take you to a place where you can subscribe and get on the newsletter. You'll get a note every Monday, a new story or idea about trusting your intuition to do better work. And you'll also get some updates about all these projects. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. It is so cool that people listen to this show. I love doing this. This is the best project I've ever done. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Bye-bye.